Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. 2 Kings 14, beginning at verse 23. In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Jehosh, king of Israel, became king in Samaria. And he reigned 41 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebod Hamath to the Sea of the Aramath in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant, Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. The Lord had seen how bitterly everyone in Israel, whether slave or free, was suffering. There was no one to help them. And since the Lord had not said he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Jehoash. And the second reading is taken from the book of Jonah, which you'll find on page 927, and we read the whole of the chapter. <clears throat> the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind, and the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, and we will not perish. And the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From which people are you? And he answered, I'm a Hebrew And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the earth, the sea, and the land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. 
I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Well, good morning. Great to uh, have you with us this morning. Let me add my welcome to, uh, to Pete's, and uh, I'd, love to, uh, I'd love to meet you at the end if we've not met before. My name's Andy, and um, I'm going to be helping us to um, think through this, uh, this passage from Jonah together. Do keep it open uh, in front of you, and um, I'm afraid there's no handout this morning. The printer and I fell out this, uh, this week, but there will be some, uh, some headings on the screen at least. And uh, I'm going to pray for God to help us as we come to look at this passage together. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that this morning your word would be our guide, your Holy Spirit our teacher, and your glory our supreme concern. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Amen. Well, uh, the, um, the Bible commentator J.B. Phillips uh, released a book in the 1950s called Your God is Too Small. Your God is Too Small. And I've not actually read the book, so I don't know if I can recommend it to you. If you've read it, maybe you'll tell me whether it's worth uh, recommending afterwards. But it's a great title for a book, isn't it? A great sort of uh, critique of the way that many people think about God. Uh, it's a great critique of those who reject God out of hand. When I talk to friends who don't believe in God, very often the God they don't believe in, I don't believe in either. The God they've rejected is too small. Uh, A great critique of spiritual people who see that there's more to life than what they can see and touch, but have a very comfortable and convenient sort of spirituality. But a great critique too, I think, often of us as Christians that very often we think of God as little more than a bigger version of ourselves, and our God is too small. Now, um, over the next four Sunday mornings, we're starting a new series looking at the book of Jonah together for four weeks, and um, Jonah is probably one of the top three most famous stories in the Bible, isn't it? Let me just test this with you. I'd like you to complete this sentence, if you can, out loud, Jonah and the... Whale or fish, exactly. One of the most well-known Bible stories. Uh, Famous, if you've been coming to church for any time at all, you probably know the story of the prophet who ran away and um, was swallowed by a fish and um, beloved of children's uh, work everywhere, beloved of teenagers too, because of course the fish vomits Jonah out after three days and three nights. But, but this story, this, this narrative from history, we're going to see over the next four weeks is not just a story for children. Because, of course, the Bible is a book about God. And the story of Jonah we're going to see together is not so much the story of Jonah and the great fish, 
but Jonah and the great God of the Bible. It's a book full of irony and deep theology and challenge to the way we think about God. Jonah 1 is going to challenge us that our God is too small and call us not to underestimate him. Uh, We meet uh, two of the key characters of the book right there in verse 1. Just have a look down with me for a minute. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Uh, It's a normal statement in the Old Testament. Um, It's very common in the Old Testament. God will speak to a prophet and the prophet listens and passes on what he's heard to the people. But a remarkable statement when you stop and think about it. The creator God, the God who made you, has made himself known. He's there and he is not silent. So you can know him. And the Lord speaks to Jonah, son of Amittai. And um, we know that Jonah was a real historical man. We had that account of his ministry summarized in uh, 2 Kings chapter 14. He was a prophet in Israel in about the 8th century BC. And um, we know from that reading we had that he was a, a believer, a genuine prophet of the Lord. God used Jonah's ministry to be very kind to his people in Israel. And we heard that read together. And so here you have the Lord and you have Jonah. And verse, and verse one, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, and said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come before me. And the first shock of a book full of surprises is verse three. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Again, at the end of verse three, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And this, this is anything but normal in the Old Testament. Pick any prophet in the Old Testament. You know, um, later on this afternoon, flip a few pages onto Amos and see what happens. Normally, the word of the Lord comes to a prophet. The prophet listens And then they go and speak God's word. But here is a great shock because in verse 2, the Lord says, go to Nineveh, which was um, in um, uh, Assyria, the equivalent of modern day Iraq, if you can picture it on a map. So Jonah's in Israel and God says, go to this great foreign city in Iraq. And instead, Jonah ran away from the Lord. And he went to Tarshish. And we don't know exactly where Tarshish was, but, but probably on the coast of Spain. Do you see, the Lord says, go to this, this foreign city and preach there. And Jonah gets up and runs in completely the opposite direction. And in one sense, Jonah is a picture of the human condition. Because, of course, by nature... Since the first people, we all run from God. When we hear his word, human beings by nature put our hands over our ears and run away. But the shock of Jonah chapter 1 is that Jonah is not one of the secularists or the pagans in the story, but a believer, a true prophet of God. And when the word of the Lord comes to Jonah... He runs. Jonah goes to great lengths to avoid God and his word in this chapter. Uh, Literally in verse two, God says, get up 
and go to Nineveh and preach. But Jonah goes down to Joppa and down into the ship and in verse five, down below deck. You see, the Lord says, I've got this big plan for you to go and preach to people who don't know me. Get up and go. And Jonah gets up and goes down, down, down. He goes to great lengths to hide from God and run from his word. And Jonah 1 brings us face to face with the fact that believers, people like you and me here this morning, can go to great lengths to run from God and his word. I don't know what you look for in a summer holiday. Uh, I, I don't know what you look for. For me, the measure of a good summer holiday can basically be measured in how many minutes I spend swimming in the sea. Okay? So if you love mountains, I'm sorry about that. But for me, I need to be next to a beach in the water swimming about. That's really all I'm looking for in a summer holiday. And so for me, when I hear of um, the sea my immediate associations are quite positive. You know, I think about um, sun-drenched summers, uh, messing around with my boys in the shallows and that sort of thing. But that is not how ancient Israelites thought about the sea. If you read the Old Testament, um, the sea is about chaos and storms and fear and danger. In the Psalms, the sea is the gateway to death. And Jonah runs for the sea rather than listen to God. By the end of the story, he's asking the sailors to throw him into the sea. Jonah would rather die than listen to God and do what he says in Jonah chapter one. And Jonah one brings us face to face with the fact that believers will go to great lengths to hide from God and run from his word. Don't underestimate the self-destructive stubbornness of sin. Uh, Some people um, do what Jonah did in a sort of literal and physical, geographical sense. They run from the Lord. um, One of the most heartbreaking conversations that I've had in the last few years was with a young bloke who was in an immoral relationship with his girlfriend. And at the end of the conversation, he said very calmly, but with a little sadness... I'm leaving the church. I'm leaving the church because he didn't want to hear God's word challenging him on that area of his life. And so he physically took himself away from where he would hear from God. And heartbreakingly, I'm sure many of us will know people who've walked away from church or left Christian families or tragically walked away from Christian marriages because they were running from God and his word. But I guess for many of us, for many of us, we won't run physically from God's word, but mentally, we can go to great lengths to avoid God and his word. You know, it's quite possible to sit here on a Sunday morning looking very respectable, and outwardly everything looks fine, but in my head and my heart, I'm on the run from God. That word in verse 3, but Jonah ran. And I hear the word of God and I think, but, 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 uh, my life's more complicated than that, Lord. But it's not as black and white. Surely there are shades of grey in this area. But, but, and I rationalise in my mind, running away from God, hiding parts of my life from him. I've been 
very convicted this week by how hard I find it to forgive people when I think that they've wronged me. You know, I, I know that Jesus says that if you've been forgiven a great deal by God, you should be quick to forgive other people. But in my head I say, but, but Lord, you don't know how much they've hurt me. But Lord, you don't know how angry I feel. But you don't know how hard I find it to forgive people. But, but, but. And I run from God and that word. The self-destructive stubbornness of my sin. Maybe like Jonah, you've received mercy from God and you know that God says to go to those who don't know him and speak about that mercy, but you've always said in your head and your heart, but Lord, but it's too hard, but it's too scary, but they're too hostile, but there's no way they'd respond, but, and you've run from the Lord. I wonder if we're running from God this morning. Jonah 1 shows us the stubborn self-destructiveness of sin. Jonah would rather die than listen to God and do what he says. And when we do that, when we run from God, Jonah 1 tells us that our God is too small. Because you see, secondly, we see not to underestimate the power of the sovereign God. Don't underestimate the power of the sovereign God. At verse 3, just look at the end of the verse. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Verse 4, then... The Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Jonah runs and God sends a storm on the sea. In verse nine, Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. Uh, Do you hear that's an expression for totality, isn't it? If I say to you, I've been humming that tune day and night, I mean all the time, don't I? And when Jonah says, the heaven, the sea, and the land, he's saying everything. The Lord rules everything. But there's a gap between what Jonah says with his lips and what he believes in his heart. A gap between head and heart on this one. Because, of course, Jonah thinks he can run from the God who rules the heaven and the sea and the land. And we see in Jonah 1 that the Lord rules every inch of his world and every part of life. He rules the land. Verse two, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. See, here is a foreign city, but no part of the world, no evil thing that is done escapes God's notice because he rules the land. I wonder if you've ever had people round for dinner and they're they're coming soon and you're short on time, but the house is a mess. And so you start doing that sort of panic tidy, you know, shoving stuff in drawers and cupboards and that kind of thing. And all the clutter goes in the spare room and you practically can't close the door, but you're just crushing it closed. And then just as the door closes, the doorbell rings and you think, It's actually looking reasonably respectable. Somehow I've managed to just get everything out of the way. And um, we can often treat our lives like that, can't we? There, there, There are quiet little corners, and if I can just shove the mess into those, but keep the public stuff looking respectable, I guess maybe I'll be okay. Except Jonah 1 shows us that nothing gets missed by the Lord God. There are no quiet corners of the world that escape his notice. 
There are no little rooms where we can hide things. He rules the land. But we see too that he rules the sea. In verse four, the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. The phrase there, the word for sending, it's the word for throwing. And the Lord throws a storm at Jonah. And then finally, when they've tried everything else and they throw Jonah in the water, in verse 15, they took Jonah and threw him overboard and the raging sea grew stark, uh, raging sea grew calm. God throws a storm at Jonah and calms it miraculously in an instant. And God also rules the things in the sea. Verse 17, the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And we'll talk about that miracle much more next week and get into all the details of that. But do you see, again and again, Jonah 1 is underlining the point that there is nothing outside of the rule of God. I don't know if you watched Blue Planet last year. It was last year, wasn't it? Blue Planet 2 was on. And um, you saw the kind of amazing diversity of stuff that lives under the sea, but also the kind of the power of the oceans. And um, one of the things that really struck me was the way that David Attenborough spoke so kind of, I don't know, reverentially about the power of nature in that documentary. The power of nature... If there was one place that ancient people thought was outside of control, uh, God's control, it was the sea, uh, the place of chaos, the place of storm, the gateway to death. But Jonah 1 says, it's not mother nature, it's not chance or bad luck or evil forces behind the storm. No, the Lord rules his world and every inch of it. He's not standing on the sidelines wringing his hand. He holds the storm in his hand. Don't underestimate the power of this God. Of course, that that raises a big question about suffering in the world, doesn't it? Because um, Jonah suffers in this chapter because of his own sin, as a direct consequence of running from God. But the sailors, they just get caught up in it. uh, Other people always suffer as a result of our disobedience. And it's very tempting, isn't it, when we're hurt um, uh, because of someone else's sin in the world or, or some, some storm in our life to think, well, God, um, God's not involved with that bit of my life. Now, surely God couldn't have anything to do with that. Surely God couldn't rule in cancer wards and car crashes and cutting remarks from other people that, that, that cut me to the heart. But, but do you see, if we say that, that there are certain bits of the world and of life that God isn't involved in, it leaves us with no hope at all. It leaves us with a great big bad world and a very small God who can't help us. But Jonah 1 says that the Lord rules his world. Don't underestimate the power of the sovereign God the God who rules in the storm. You can, you can cry to him when you suffer. You can cry to him when you're hurt because he rules. But look, here's the point. Here's the point in Jonah 1. It is foolish to think that you can run from God. It was foolish of Jonah when he laced up his running shoes and sprinted off towards Tarshish. And it's foolish for us to think that we can run from God, to 
think we can hide from his presence. We can keep parts of our lives sealed off from him. Maybe you're sat here this morning and you know in your heart that you are running from God. Well, let me assure you that he knows exactly where you are and what you're doing. It's a terrible decision to run from God. Don't underestimate his power. But there's also great hope for us because Jonah 1 shows us not to underestimate the mercy of the sovereign God. Don't underestimate his power, but also don't underestimate the mercy of the sovereign God. Because of course, the storm in Jonah 1, it looks like terrible judgment. When the Lord throws a storm at Jonah in verse 3, we think, wow, he's going to get squashed. But as you read on in the book of Jonah, well, the storm is the means of God's mercy to Jonah. The storm is the first thing that God uses to bring Jonah back. When Jonah says, I'd rather die than listen to God, God sends a great fish to bring Jonah back. God is very merciful to Jonah in this chapter, isn't he? If if you've got children here, you'll know what it feels like to have to be very patient with someone who constantly disobeys you. But it's that sort of, you know, it's that sort of thing going on in Jonah chapter one. In um, at the beginning of the passage, God says, "Go to Nineveh." So Jonah runs away. And um, in verse six, the captain pleads with Jonah, "Get up and call on your God." Jonah, pray. But all through the chapter, Jonah won't pray. When they identify him, and when the sailors say what, uh, in verse 11, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? At no point does Jonah cry out to the Lord. Verse 12, he says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. You see, that's not heroism. That's resignation. Not only would Jonah rather die than listen to God, he would rather die than pray. And and do you know what? As you go through this chapter, if I was writing the story, there would be just at least least a temptation for God to just take him up on the offer. You know, Jonah would rather die. And we're thinking, God, how can you be so patient with Jonah? And yet the storm is the means of God's mercy to bring Jonah back. Don't underestimate the mercy of this God who rules his world. I was talking to a guy just this week and he said to me, Andy, I feel so tangled up in my sin. I feel completely worthless as a Christian. And we looked at Jonah 1 together and we saw the mercy and patience of God towards Jonah. Are you on the run from God this morning? He is very merciful. Come back. Come back to him. He is very merciful with true believers and prophets who run and who try to hide. But notice too that God is very merciful to pagan sailors in this story. God is very kind to people who worship other gods, isn't he? Um, There there are two great ironies in this chapter that I just love. Um, The first one is that Jonah, well, he's meant to be a light to the nations, 
as Israel was meant to be. But when God sends him to be a light to the nations and to, talk, and to preach about God to people who don't know him, Jonah absolutely doesn't want to. He runs the other way. And yet the sovereign God, the one who's in charge, takes Jonah and puts him on a boat surrounded by sailors who don't know God and who, at verse 5, cry out to other gods and gives Jonah an opportunity with a capital O. Because in verse 8, they ask him all these questions. Tell us, who's responsible for making this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? Where's your country? From what people are you? And Jonah, who had run away because he didn't want to talk about Jesus, about God to people who don't know him, ends up proclaiming the truth that he fears the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. See, God takes Jonah's rebellion, and in his sovereignty, he uses it to save these sailors, these pagans, the last people Jonah wanted to hear about God. And then, of course, the other great irony is that the sailors who don't know God and worship other gods respond to the true God of the Bible far better than Jonah does, don't they? Uh, Did you notice three times we're told that the sailors were afraid? Uh, Verse five, the sailors were afraid because of the storm and each cried out to his own God. Uh, In verse nine, Jonah tells them about the Lord, the God of the Bible, the God of heaven who made the sea and the earth. And verse 10, this terrified them. And they ask, what have you done? You see, now they're afraid because of what they've heard about God. And Jonah tells them to throw him into the sea. But verse 13, they'd rather do anything else. They're trying to save Jonah. And then in the end, in verse 14, they do do what Jonah would not do in this chapter. Then they cried to the Lord. They pray to God, O Lord, please don't let us die for this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm and at this the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. You see, it's not not an abject terror before God because God has just saved them. It's awe, awe before a God of power and mercy, a God who is able to rescue them, to calm a storm instantly when it should take hours, even days, to grow calm. See, it's a great irony, isn't it? The one thing that Jonah, the prophet, won't do is pray, and that is precisely what the sailors do. They cry out to God for mercy, and God uses Jonah, (laughs) Jonah, to bring mercy to them and save them. Don't underestimate the mercy of the sovereign God. And of course, um, living when we do today, we can see the mercy of the sovereign God with a clarity that Jonah and the others in this story never could because we know the facts of Jesus' life. God came to earth as a man, but people like Jonah, like us, didn't want God to be among them and so they nailed him to a cross and crucified him the greatest act of running from God that has ever been committed they had the chance 
and they killed the man who is God on a cross. And yet it wasn't out of God's control. Jesus went very deliberately to a cross as a sacrifice to have mercy on us. And Jonah goes down to the depths of death because of his sin. But Jesus went to the depths of death and faced the right anger of God for the way that we've run from God on our behalf, in our place, as a sacrifice so that God could be very merciful to us for the ways that we've run from him. And you see, the cross of the Lord Jesus, it shows us that God's rule and his mercy, they're not in a tug of war with one another. The God who rules the world rules in mercy. He rules in order to save people. And he's capable of moving the events of our world to bring the message of salvation to people. But just like in Jonah's day, in Jesus' day, some people ran from the cross and others came to Jesus and prayed for mercy. And Jonah 1 says, don't underestimate this God. Don't run from him. Cry to him. It might be that you're here this morning and you know in your heart that you are running from God. If that's you, let me plead with you this morning. Don't double down on your sin. Don't just get your head down and keep sprinting towards death like Jonah did. Cry out to God. Ask him to forgive you, to have mercy, because the sovereign God is merciful. And ask him to change you in those areas where you're running from him. But it might be that you're here this morning and you you just feel weighed down in the storm. Uh, Maybe you're terrified with anxiety for someone you know who is running from God as fast as they can. Maybe you just feel burdened by the circumstances you face. Well, This morning, take confidence from Jonah 1 that your God is far bigger than we often think. He rules, he's merciful, he can move things to save people. Cry out to him for help in your time of need. Our God is very big, very great in power and in mercy. Uh, We're going to have a couple of minutes now to pray quietly on our own. It may be that you need, in the silence of your heart, to cry out to God for mercy this morning. And then I'm going to close us in just a moment. Sovereign God, we acknowledge your power and your mercy this morning, and we praise you for them. Please have mercy on us for those ways in which we are running from you and turn us to you in real faith and awe-shaped uh, awe fear. In Jesus' name, amen.